Hello, everybody. My name is Jill Whalen, and I am on a mission to empower people to break the diet cycle and live their best life to the fullest. I founded my company, Whalen Wellness, based on this mission and continue to help thousands of people through my virtual bootcamp and four pillar system. We will share this safe space and grow together for the well of it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. From time to time on the podcast, I love to have guests that are either members of my Whalen Wellness community or people that I've met along the way who can offer some everyday inspiration. These are typically people who have had experiences or had some struggles or faced some hard things. And I know that these, th these things and these scenarios could happen to any of us at any time. And I want to be sure that we shine light on that. And that's a great way to offer, you know, such everyday inspiration in that way. So today I'm chatting with one of my community members, Danica Philpot. She is a 47-year-old vibrant and passionate individual whose story will inspire you. She is the mom of two amazing people, Ray, who is 20, and Abigail, who is 17, and they fill her with pride and drive daily. Danica has quite a story to tell, and she's no stranger to the phrase, we can do hard things. She's actually a living example of that. Danica has been through a journey with breast cancer, and she actually is also an author. She wrote a book called Overcomer. Since its release, she has grown into her role as a motivational speaker, having spoken at the Fearless Women's Summit and received a standing ovation for her presentation, You're Stronger Than You Think. After healing from cancer and its effects, Danica returned to her passion as a sign language interpreter of 20 years, and she's never looked back. Welcome to the show, Danica. Thank you. So good to be here, Jill. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy to have you. You inspire me on the daily, and I didn't know uh, your story when we first met, but I've been lucky enough to get to know you a bit, and you actually gifted me a copy of your book, which was a beautiful story. Beautiful story. So I, I don't even really know where to start, except I feel today's conversation is all, always relevant, but extra relevant because yesterday... I had my annual mammogram, which this is only the second one I've ever had. I'll be 43 in like five days. <laughs> and yesterday I took a little selfie as I was behind the curtain in the gown with the gown, you know, open at the front, um, just finished the exam. And I took that selfie because it's really important for me in how I show up here to show up authentic. And even when I feel vulnerable or uncomfortable. I do not have any history of breast cancer that I'm aware of or any reason for concern after yesterday's appointment. But you know what? We never know. We never know when we are the ones to face the hard thing. So I posted that picture on my social media channels yesterday and there was so much engagement. It's such, uh, you know, it's a topic that some of us know so much about, some of us know so little about, but it's worth educating and sharing about. So thank you for being here and for being so open with your story. You are kindly welcome and it's my pleasure. Education is so huge and there's a lot that people don't know, uh, men and women and mm -hmm. other genders that are susceptible to breast cancer and don't even realize it. Right. I was in preparing for this. I read some statistics in the Canadian Cancer Society website and I know breast cancer is a thing that can show up also in uh, people born male. And actually a friend of mine that I had on the podcast, uh, the topic was grief. She talked about losing her father to breast cancer. And she said that whenever it came up as a conversation piece, people would say, oh, that's very rare. And she said, well, not rare enough. Or my dad would still be here. So it's a thing that affects many people. And actually some of the statistics that I read was one in eight Canadian women will develop breast cancer. That's right. And breast cancer is the most common cancer in Canadian women, excluding non-melanoma um, skin cancers. And it's actually the second leading cause of death from cancer in women. Mm -hmm. So it's something that needs uh, to be talked about. And it's something that we need to, you know, educate, dispel fears, and also encourage to be proactive and, and advocate for your own health. So can you take me back to your, let's start with your discovery and diagnosis. Well... Uh, as, as anybody that read my book, uh, I found a lot myself and it, by the time I found it, it was, and I say the size of a small egg, 
like if you see, you know, sometimes if you've ever, ever had hens, <laughs> yep. which our family have always had hens, if you ever get like a little egg, it was the size of that. And I was eating an ice cream actually at Laura Secord. It was that summer, um, 2015, the really terrible summer. Where it was, it was a terrible raining. summer. I was pregnant. It was freezing. It was so cold. And so <laughs> I, I had my daughter who was 11 at the time, Abigail, and, and she was just going stir crazy. So I said, well, come on, let's go to the mall. So we're at the mall and I was eating an ice cream and I was very, very, very big chested. I had, I think by the time I had cancer, I was like an eye cop. I was very, very large. So mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was always covering because it was, it was a bit embarrassing from, for me. And I was covering myself, but I was eating, eating an ice cream. Like with and, your arms across your chest, just for people that can't see us yeah. together today, your arms yeah. across your chest, hand under your armpit almost. Right. So my, my right hand was cupping basically my left breast and mm -hmm. I, I felt it, it was pressing against my fingers and I was like, what is that? And I started to, you know, to feel around and I got my daughter to feel it. And she looked at me and she said, mom, what is that? And I said, I think it's a lump. And I just, I remember like, I felt like I was underwater. Right. It's like white noise. Like the, the floor falls out from under you. <sighs> and I went, no, 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 no. Is it no, hard? Like no. what's, explain to me the texture. Like what am I looking for? It's, it's not like a golf ball. It's almost like if you had a miniature tennis ball or a um, stress ball. Okay. You know the stress balls where they're a little bit squishy? Yeah. And, and it's not squishy, but it's that it's not this hard as a rock. Right. So I felt around and, and it was quite large. Tenderness? Oh, and the thing is my friends and my aunt, like I said, after, I don't remember having pain before. And they both looked at me and said, huh, you're kidding me. Right. For months before I had shooting, darting pain going in through that left oh. side. So, but it, there was nothing there that I knew of. Right. So I found the lump and the next four months was so frustrating I, I called my doctor. My doctor was away on holidays. So I waited for my doctor to get back. And then when they got back, um, I won't drop any names or anything, but it was a struggle for the first few months yeah. trying to get people to take me seriously. Yeah. And I was told that it was a cyst and it was a cyst inside of a cyst. And that cyst, um, after I had a mammogram, they said the cyst had broken because overnight it, it went from the size of that small egg to the size of my fist overnight. And I was oh. black and blue because it grew so fast. Oh my God. So they had said that the, that the cyst quote unquote cyst had broken. And that's why it was so tender. I wore a sling so that I wouldn't use that arm. Um, it was just absolutely it was scary, but I wasn't, I didn't think it was breast cancer. I don't know why. So at I the point where you were told it was a cyst, how, what kind of exam had been done? Just strictly mammogram at that point or? No mammogram up to that point. At, oh, okay. at that point, it was just a visual okay. and palpitating, like just feeling okay. it and saying that's, that feels like a cyst. It feels just like a cyst. So once I got, once I had the mammogram, this is what's mind blowing. When I saw your picture yesterday, mm -hmm. I could feel that anxiety sure. and I could, I could have thrown up. That's true. Yeah. I yeah. looked at it and it's like, oh my gosh, I, that brings me right back to being in the room with like for my MRI, because the scary part is, and this is huge for your listeners to understand, to learn, to never, ever forget that if you have dense breasts, mm -hmm. which uh, many of us don't even know we have, but if you have dense breast tissue, tissue, which means that it's almost like, you know, if you put your hands up together, one hand on the other, like you can't really see through your fingers. Well, if you close your fingers, but if you open your fingers, then you can see through. So if you have dense breast tissue, it means that you can't see through the breast tissue. So you can't see if you have a tumor one centimeter past where you're looking. And nobody realizes that. And it's scary. And only, I hate to say this because it's, it's, it's a little scary, but only 25% of mammograms show cancers. And MRI is what caught mine. Because when I had the mammogram, my uh, breast tissue was so dense, they couldn't see it. 
So it was fine. I had an ultrasound, couldn't see it. It was fine. It so came you, at this point, it was still quite large. It was still quite mm -hmm. there and I, the mammogram could not detect it. Wow. It didn't detect it. Wow. So that scared me. Mm -hmm. That scared me when I was in my recovery phase. It scared me because I thought back and, and in my book, I talk about the fact that ask your doctor, they won't, many doctors won't openly tell you, but you have to ask them. I need to know if I have dense, dense breast tissue. It's really hard to say, but I need to know if I have dense breast tissue, because if I do, I need to keep that in the back of my mind. So can anybody have dense breast tissue or is it just typically like the larger breasts that are dense? Anybody, anybody. You, can, you can have very, very small chest and you can still have dense breast tissue. It's not because I was so large. And I found that out after as well, after I did my research for the book. Um, and I do have excerpts from uh, articles and from research papers and stuff into the book so that it's not just me saying it. There's right. actually proof to back it up. I because just the uh, I mean, in chatting with people I know about mammogram experiences, a couple of people that I've talked to have said that they've had to have like after that mammogram, they've had to come back for another check and stuff like that. And those in those scenarios that I've heard about, they are larger chested women. So I wondered if it was a thing. I know my own breasts are quite small. And like yesterday in that machine, I just I can't believe how it can manipulate so much because I was it was a pancake on the like they're they're small and they were flattened to nothing and, yeah. and so i hope they could see right through i hope they could see everything yesterday but wow that's really interesting about the different types of tissue yeah yeah and be be sure to ask about it yeah. because like i said so i was a part of a group for a short time but then i i ended up being really really busy and i had to leave the group but it was dense breast tissues uh breasts that went out there <laughs> dense breast tissue organization of Canada type thing. It was an advocate. Mm. It was an advocacy group mm -hmm. for that. And one of the things that we were advocating for when I was a part of it was to actually um, have this question on a line on your medical form. Do I have dense breast tissue? Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And I don't know if it ever got passed or not, because like I said, I had to leave it because I was so busy, but uh, I hope it did because it's huge. So after, so after I found the lump, I had the mammogram. Um, nobody would nobody would believe that there was something seriously wrong. And so I got very upset one day and I looked at this doctor and I said, I want an MRI and I want a biopsy. Like if if it's a cyst, well, ask for you. Advocate oh, for yourself. You know when something's not right. I remember <laughs> begging for that MRI for Hunter too. And once we got it, it was we, it was all figured out. Right. Because the MRI can, the MRI, a PET scan, all that can see far more than what a CT or an ultrasound can. Mm -hmm. So when, or a mammogram. So when you feel that in your gut and you know, yeah. you just know, and not only me, I have my mom, I have my sisters, I have my brother, my family, everybody had that feeling in the pit of their stomach that we can't let this go. And so they were advocating as well. How at this point, when you, when you asked for the biopsy and the MRI, how were you feeling physically aside from the lump and the tenderness, any sickness, you know, yeah. or any, anything else feel off at all? No, no. And I'm pretty high energy and anybody that knows me, when I say that they'll all laugh and say, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm pretty high energy. Uh, so I was, and I'm a busy person. I have a family. I have, I, I work yeah. and so I'm busy. So I was busy and I was, with my other arm unloading the dishwasher and pulling the laundry out of the washer, you know? So I was fine. I was absolutely fine. And you would, if you look at me, you'd never say there was anything wrong. It was just this excruciating pain. And then after I had the mammogram, it got, it got progressively worse because what happens is hmm, the tumor got so big that it was pressing on nerves and the right. nerves would, it would debilitate me. It would debilitate me and nothing would work because it's nerve pain. Not, there's very little that takes away nerve pain. I found it the hard way. I thought that I read or heard at some point along the way that like, if you find a lump, you know, don't, if, if it hurts, it's not cancer. 
was what I've heard before, right? And that's definitely not true because I've heard more than once that it's just this, like you said, debilitating pain, really bad. I actually, I remember waking up one morning and and feeling like a a lump that felt like a rock in my breast, but I was nursing and it was a black duct, but I went right right away and had it checked. I was so worried. Like it's, and I I do like that we are, I I feel like as women, we're aware, you know, we are, we are, we, we touch, we feel, we're cleaning ourselves. We know. Um, so you asked for the biopsy and the MRI. So was the MRI the diagnostic tool yes. here? Yeah. The MRI showed that I had cancer. And it's funny because I thought about this yesterday when I was thinking about this this podcast. And for years after, and I'm six years out, but for years after, I thought those dates will be forever ingrained in my mm-hmm. head. And if you talk to any cancer survivor, and I'm sure that you feel the same with Hunter, the dates of diagnosis, it's the trauma, of, it's trauma. Oh, yep. without a doubt. So the dates are fully ingrained in my head. However, they're starting to fade, which ah, I'm that's healing. For. That's that's healing on the emotional and mental side of things. That is it, awesome. It is. So October 8th, 2015, I will never forget that day because that's the day of my diagnosis. And I I was going to look back through my book and see the other dates. And I thought, I don't have to do that. That's okay. I don't need to remember that. I remember the journey. Yeah. Right. So was it a phone call, the diagnosis, or was it a come on in or what was it? Well, October 7th, I had the phone call that said, um, Danica, you need to come in and see the doctor on her lunch break and bring your husband with you. Oh, and, boy. I was like, yeah. and then I knew, I knew. And I just, I hang, I hung up the phone and I cried and I sobbed and I like that ugly cry. Oprah yep. talked about. I just cried so hard. And I, and my child, my children were coming home off the bus in 10 minutes. And I said, suck it up, stop it, stop, dry your tears uh, until you can process this. It's not fair to put this on them. So I did, I stood up and I said, okay, whew, I walked outside for a minute. They got home and I kind of left everything till the next day and went in and the doctor was visibly upset, um, visibly upset, knowing that this was something that was missed. And I felt, I felt bad, but I felt worse for me because of course. it was four of months course. later. I found it in July. This was October and it was now the size. It was, it was huge, huge, huge. So by the time By the time I had gone to see the oncologist and the surgeon and all that, I started chemo in November and it was 14 by 15 centimeters. It was holy moly, 14 by 15 centimeters. Well, when I saw when I saw Dr. McCarthy and I'm telling you, I, I really hope she listens because she is she was sent here from somewhere amazing because she is. I know that feeling. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She's like a godsend. Mm -hmm. And she measured the tumor and she asked for another doctor to come in and measure the tumor. And then she asked the nurse to come in because it was that unbelievable 14 by 15 centimeters. So an already large person, a big chested person was now, this was growing inside of this large breast. And it was just unbelievably, unbelievably painful and traumatic and that is unbelievable because yes you were large chested but you're not a large person that's that's a very large tumor oh my goodness um and the scary the scary thing is i remember one day we were at mom's and i was i had this button up pj shirt on and all of a sudden i got this ripping pain going up in through my armpit and i stopped and i'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh so i cradled my breasts went into the bathroom, unbuttoned my shirt. And when I looked, I could, I literally, this may be too graphic for some people. And especially if you do have trauma mm-hmm. uh, with cancers, but I, I watched it morph. I watched it move and grow. I was like, and I and was. The pain is, is a, you know, it's a symbol. It's a warning sign. It's a. It is. Yeah. It's it your body telling you something's not right. Don't ever let that go. Don't ever. And don't think because someone tells you because it's a doctor and they tell you, oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's nothing. If you walk away and you're like, okay, I feel good about this decision. Best kind. If not, and you've got that niggling feeling in your gut, I'm telling you. Be your own advocate. Absolutely. And if it turns out to be nothing, perfect. Wonderful. Right. Absolutely. But listen to your gut. 
So what were you told um, on diagnosis? What were you told stage, grade, prognosis, and treatment? Like what, what was the plan? What was told to you? What was communicated? If you're so when I went in to see my, when I went in to see the surgeon is actually the one who relayed to me what, what was going to happen. And I was shocked. I was shocked. I walked into that room thinking, huh, surgery and radiation. I'd say surgery, yeah, surgery and radiation. Cause I didn't know I've never gone through right. this before. And he opened his mouth and he started to speak another angel, honestly, amazing, amazing doctor. And he said, so the way that we're going to do this is we have to do um, six rounds of aggressive chemo first three weeks in between each one. We give you three weeks because you are, your system is going to crash and then we need time for you to build back up your neutrophils, they call it. And uh, it's a part of your white blood cells. So that will crash and it has time to come back up. Um, So six rounds of aggressive chemo, and then we're going to do the mastectomy. Um, Then we're going to do 25 rounds of radiation. And then I think we're going to um, possibly do a hysterectomy. Oh my goodness. That's very aggressive treatment plan. Very aggressive. Jill, all of that happened in nine months. It was the hardest year of work of my life. The, the hysterectomy it, included? You did it all? So did, you did a double bilateral I mastectomy. I did. And the reason I chose to do that was because, number one, I was so, I was, my breasts were so big. And when you remove one, you have, whatever you're doing has to match the other one. Right. Number two, I did not want to have to go through this again. Right. I did not. So I actually had an MRI on. So the left breast was the one with the tumor. Um, the right breast, I had a mammogram and I also had an, an MRI biopsy and it came back negative. There was no cancer. And I said, I don't care. You can do what you like. I'm still having it off. I do not want this. I don't want anything. Did they check any other body parts? Like I'm not, again, it, this, these may be ignorant questions. I'm not familiar with yeah. breast cancer, but I know for Hunter, when they detected the tumor in the lower spine, they then checked the rest of the spine and the brain because that's the nervous system. So was there other areas or just strictly the two breasts? What about lymph they, nodes, those things? Yeah, they actually do. Um, when you are diagnosed with cancer, in my situation, I can't speak for everybody, but they did a full bone body bone scan mm-hmm. and a full body CT scan okay. before they started anything else because they need to know if it's anywhere else, right. else if it has in fact metastasized right. or um, if it's in, sorry, my dog is barking. That's okay. So, I can barely hear it. Carry on. Okay, good. <laughs> so they need to know if it's, if the breast cancer is actually breast cancer, because if it started, for example, in your liver or in your lung right. and it gets to your, to your breast, then it's actually not breast cancer. Right. That would be secondary cancer. cancer. Yeah. It's a secondary, right. Yeah. So they did do all of that. And I remember we were sitting in the, we were sitting in the parking lot in dominion and I got the call. Um, and it said, you know, all of your scans are clear. And it was like, Oh, like I was so excited. What a roller coaster. I mean, you just had this oh. massive diagnosis and then you have this, this, this aggressive, aggressive protocol that you're going to be following, but then you're told that you don't have cancer anywhere else. So you're rejoicing. <laughs> like what oh, a roller coaster. It is, roller coaster. It is so, oh, and you know, goodness. and you know, like I've always been a journaler. I've journaled all of my life mm-hmm. I, I, through good, bad, ugly, all of it. And I journaled the whole time because the reason that the book was birthed out of journaling and out of my Facebook journey, because I journeyed it on Facebook just okay. because there's, there's people that's never going to people that need to know this. Right. And um, I remember putting this on Facebook and writing in my journal and just being like, you won't even believe the little miracles that have happened to me along the way, mm-hmm. because me, all of these scans coming clear to me is just that another little miracle that happened. Yeah. And you've got when you're going through something like this and you really don't know what the outcome is going to be. I didn't know. I truly did not know. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Take your time. Take your time. 
You know, I've heard, I'll just interrupt for a minute. Um, I interviewed another one of our community members last summer who was, she's in BC. She's from here, but in BC. And she was dealing with brain tum- a brain tumor, brain cancer diagnosis. And she said very similar. She also is a big journaler. And she said that there's miracles everywhere if you can just care to see them along the way. You know, there's, yeah. there's things that help you through a hard journey like this when you, you know, your perspective shifts, I suppose, when you face something so tough. It does. And, you know, you, you really, when you don't know that you're going to see your children's next birthdays, yeah, or you don't know that you're going to see your own next birthday and you may go before your parents, it's very, very tough. It's very tough. And, but the funny thing is it's tough, but it's also a gift because you really see what's important and, yeah. and the drama and that don't sweat the small stuff. My gosh, right. when did come out 20 or 30 years ago, whoever wrote that must've had some trauma in their life must've yep. had something because it's so true. Do not sweat the small stuff and look after yourself and look after the people you love because that's what it's about. Yeah. You know? And, 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 you know, and I have another friend that I went through university with who's dealing with uh, a type of cancer too over the last few years. And she says she's grateful. She's, you know, it's a gift when she's told that the scan is clear or that treatment is an option or that, and, and that truly is right. And I, those of us who haven't been touched by cancer, that may be hard to understand, but I can see it. I've just, I've talked to a few people now and I, I, although I can't commiserate, I do understand, you know, I do get it. Um, so when the doctor gave you this treatment protocol, did the doctor have a comment on anything else? Like, what, you know, his, like, we got this, we're going to do, you know, it'll be fine. You'll be okay. Or did he comment other, either way? No, just here's your strategy. This is what no, we're because do. they can't do that. No, because they don't know that it's going to be okay. That's right. You know? yeah. And so he basically gave me my plan and said, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the room. I will be back, but I'm going to leave the room to give, give you, you a minute to, to digest. And when he walked out, I just wailed. I wailed. Mm-hmm. And I, it's really funny. My reaction, I stood up and I started pacing the room and I was like, I got to start eating more vegetables. I got to start drinking smoothies. I got to start eating better. I got to go for walks. I got to go. And, and my husband at the time just grabbed me and said, Danica, Danica, look at me, look at me, look at me. And I, and I had to center myself and right. I just, wept and I cried and I poured my heart out and then and once all that was out yeah the doctor came back in and I was okay and then I was like all right let's do this (laughs) good for you and I rolled up my sleeves yeah because doctors are such gifts like this is what they do this they go to work like it blows my mind that they go to work and this is the work that they do every day like that's just a day at work is that you you know you prepare somebody for the fight of their life and then you save their lives like amazing hope you know in the best cases it's mind-blowing and I was a miracle survivor because everything that I had going on the tumor was so big it was so aggressive it's um it was like it was building blocks like this the the, Uh. the cancer that I have was stage three Mm -hmm. I never ever heard about a grade but it was stage three very aggressive it was called HER2 estrogen positive progesterone negative so there are different types of cancer that you can have the estrogen positive is why I had the hysterectomy okay because I can't have any estrogen in my body, which I can't even tell you the effect that that has on a person. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you. Yeah, I can, but it would be very graphic. Yeah. So that's for another time. That's maybe for a different kind of show. Right. But it is very, it changes all of you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the cancer, the, the chemo that I had attacked the cancer in such an aggressive way that it literally shrunk. Every time I would have chemo, it shrunk a little more, shrunk a little more, shrunk a little more. So that after six treatments, uh, when they did the surgery and took the breast off again, I'll go back to having the right breast off that showed no cancer. But when they took it off and sent it to the path lab, there was cancer there. Oh my goodness after me telling them, after me, them telling me that I did not have it. Oh my goodness. And I was like, so every time I would mention 
to my daughter who was 11 at the time, I'd say to her, I don't know if I'm like, is that the right decision? She said, every time I would say that she was 11, she said this dark feeling would come over her and she would be like, mom, no, please, 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 please. I'm begging you take off the right breast. And so I did. And it's a good thing I did because I would have had to do this all over again. Absolutely. So I had the chemo, which was, uh, which, which was tough, but you know, it's, 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 it saved my life, I do believe. And then I had the double mastectomy. Then I had 25 rounds of radiation, which I don't know why it must be my skin type or what, but I was one of the worst burned that the um, radiation oncologist had ever seen. I don't know why it looked like I was after falling in a fire pit. Mm -hmm. It was the worst thing. I could take these pictures and send them to horror movies and they could use them. No problem. It was horrible extremely painful because you're burned from the inside out then you heal right. from the inside out right that was brutal and then i had a complete hysterectomy where they removed everything because they they said if it's going to reoccur it will reoccur in your uh in your reproductive system so right. they were going to do an oophorectomy just take it the ovaries and i said well no mm-mm. take the work I, of it. whatever you can take and i said when you're in there like if you can reach up and pick out the appendix do that whatever i don't need <laughs> take it out <laughs> Whatever I don't need and cancer might come Any into. Any place you find estrogen, <laughs> let's get this done. I, I mean, again, I can't, nobody can say what they'll do until they're in the situation, but I do feel like I would take that very aggressive approach as well because nobody needs to face that a second time if they can avoid it whatsoever. That's so right. the so chemo, uh, mastectomy, radiation, and hysterectomy all within nine months. Nine months, Jill. Nine months. And I, and I uh, like, I don't remember... I remember twice. Um, oh, I remember twice. Have you seen the movie Eat, Pray, Love? I have not, actually. I have not. So the movie Eat, Pray, Love, where she's on the floor in the bathroom and she's just weeping. And it's a different situation why she's weeping. But I was on that floor mm-hmm. um, in my bathroom uh, with no hair, no hair on my whole body. I had this big tumor because I hadn't had the surgery yet. And I was lying on the bathroom floor and I, and mom was out just outside the door and I started to laugh and I was like, oh my God, I'm a chemo patient. I'm a cancer patient. I'm actually a cancer patient. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't out believe of, it. Like, out of body almost. Yeah. I'm 41. I'm very, I'm very um, energetic and I'm, and I love life and I love people and animals and babies and all that. And I'm lying on a bathroom floor with no hair and I have cancer. And I walked out of my bathroom and I, and mama stood there and I sat on my bed and I put my, my face in her chest and I just wept. And here was my, my sin, my poor mom. And she's just smoothing down my head. It's going to be okay. That's what moms do. Oh, thank God for her. I'm telling you she's, and she is my hero. Mom had breast cancer in 1997 and uh, she had a, um, she had one breast removed and, but she didn't have to go through chemo or radiation or anything. So, um, because of that, I had genetic testing done and I'm not a carrier. I'm not, I don't have the BRCA gene and BRCA is breast cancer, like breast cancer gene. I do not have any, any of the genes. um, This was just a spontaneous unrelated diagnosis. They said said it's a case of bad luck. Lightning strikes twice, right? In the same family. I'm going to say something and I was going to say this before, but I'm going to say it now is that Jill, I am the, I'm the best me right now that I've ever been in my life. This is real and raw. I have no breasts. I tried reconstruction in 2017. Uh, Three weeks later, I woke up, I couldn't breathe. I was gone septic and the doctor, literally another saving grace. He walked in and he said, "If, if we don't get this out of you, we are going to be laying you out on a cold slab tonight. Oh so my goodness. This needs to happen. So your body rejected the reconstruction. Rejected. Oh yeah. my goodness. But it's because the radiation had burned me see so bad inside that nothing was viable. Nothing. Right. So I had, I, I woke up. Well, I, anyway, so that, that's a whole other story, but they, I ended up into the emergency room, into the OR, um, and then I woke up and I was still alive and I, I stayed awake all night. I stayed awake the whole night. I was just like, I can't sleep. I'm alive. Like, woohoo! <laughs> I gotta, I gotta talk to God. I gotta talk to somebody. I just gotta, I just gotta get my life in order because this, 
this is amazing. God, like I've been given two, two chances. Yes. I've been given two chances. Those small miracles, right. which is actually a huge miracle. Amazing. Actually, it's a huge miracle. And so I'm here yeah. and I'm here for a reason. So now, and I tell people this all the time, I am the, look, what you're getting right now, this is the best me you've ever received. And it's Aww. only going to get better. But before, see Jill, before, before I had cancer, I had the long, gorgeous hair and I had the, the breasts and I had the hourglass shape and I was all that. But it's superficial, you see? Right. It's superficial. And you try to, uh, I was always a people pleaser. It's not the important stuff. Oh my gosh. And you don't realize that until it's all stripped away from you. Right. And some people don't ever have to have it stripped away, okay? Some people can can be that long before anything ever happens, but I'm not one of them. I'm like school of hard knocks, man. If there's a hard lesson to learn, I'm going to learn it the hard way. Right. And I did. But yeah. now I'm... I'm so, I'm so me and I never really knew me. And it's okay that some people don't like me because I'm over the top, quote unquote, or I have all this energy or I'm a little quirky and a little weird maybe. And, and hey, but that's okay. You know how I feel about every word you just said. I mean, make it weird, be <laughs> you, weird. live yeah. authentically. And I love that line. It actually comes from Alcoholics Anonymous. What other people think about you is none of your business. Doesn't matter. Does not matter what other people think of you. I think that you're incredible. And I like this story just blows my mind because, you know, you, you faced the big, the, the scary version of breast cancer. Um, you did every form of treatment, surgery, chemo, radiation. You had a failed reconstruction that could, that caused you to almost lose your life again. I mean, this is, this is a story of triumph after adversity, and this is absolutely incredible. And then you wrote a book to share it with the world, and now you're living your best life, and it's, I, I just, I feel proud to even know you, and I see how hard you work. I mean, you, you're, we'll get into this in a few minutes. You're a female entrepreneur. You um, work in, you do our workouts. You work so hard there. Tell me about your tattoo. Was that after your journey? Tell me about that because I just, I don't know if you heard the episode I did with Ann Doughton and she well, I did. <laughs> she specializes in custom and healing tattoos. So I, I, I see your tattoo with your tank top and I wondered what that, what that was about. Well, I've always liked tattoos, but after I, um, after I was, I rejected, after my body rejected the, the expanders, which is basically what they put in you before you have the, mm -hmm. um, the implants for reconstruction, I was, I was literally cut from my, like, if you imagine somebody removing your breasts, they cut you horizontally. So I was cut from under my right armpit all around. And by the time I had that, by the time all my surgeries, surgeries were done, I was cut from under my right armpit all the way around to halfway around my back. So I had this huge scar and one where my, where the breast cancer was, it was after being, um, I was after having like three or four surgeries. So it was very, very not pretty. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, if I cannot have reconstruction, I'm having something. Yeah. And I started to look online and Google, and then I saw these powerful, powerful individuals who have had, and I say individuals because like I said, there's all genders right. that yeah. have uh, can breast cancer. So I've seen these individuals and they have these tattoos and I'm like, that's it. Oh my gosh. So I started looking for what I wanted on my body and I found like, I found different designs, but I didn't like, okay. So your mind goes through different things. Like everyone's would say to me or certain people would say to me through cancer, my gosh, you're like a lion. Like you're just, you're like a lion. You're just, you're, you're facing Fierce. it on. Yes. And so I was like, mm -hmm. well, maybe I'll, I'll have a lion there and all this stuff. But then I, I was on a walk one day and I was going through it in my head and I was singing fight song. Oh, oh. I love that song. It makes me cry. It's oh, so Oh, I'm powerful. telling you. Well, if you wanted to see me on the walk that day, you would have uh -huh. remembered me because I was like walking and I'm swinging my arms and I'm singing and I'm crying. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I was like, this is my fight song. Yes. And I thought, I don't want the, I don't want the lion. Because that's already been done. I want something unique. You're on the so, other side. Yeah. Yes. So I ended up on the side where um, on the side where the aggressive cancer was not. We start on my shoulder and it's just an, an intricate vines and, and various things that's going down through. And then on the side with the cancer, you just got to be careful because when you when you tattoo over scars, 
um, some scars you cannot tattoo over. So we had to be very careful with this and methodical. So on this side, I basically start kind of just above where my breast would have been. And then I go right down to my, to my hip. And again, it's just a a design that I love. And, and right in the middle of all of it, because my oldest sister, Michelle's daughter had passed away years ago. And she loved monarch butterflies. I have a monarch butterfly on my chest. And and it's the only color that I have because that she deserves that, you know? Um, So I had this done and TV came and interviewed me. Leila Baudouin came and interviewed me in the studio. (laughs) So that was all over NTV, which was fantastic. And I'm stood there topless crying because, you know, I can see the outline of the tattoo. So just that, and again, that bit of empowerment. And it's like um, taking, you know, you take your power back. You you you, you faced the hard thing. Yes. You did the hard thing. It knocked you down a few times, but you got back up. You're on the other yes. side. And then by creating this art and, and memorial memorializing your niece, like that is what a way to take your power back through trauma yes. and begin the true healing. That is beautiful. Yeah, you take it back. I I want a decision. I want I want some choice now. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a choice to do the mastectomy right cancer decided that for me but it's not going to decide anything else and right. that's like when i have i got this funky hairdo with the shaved sides and and i say to people people's like that's actually a lady today that i met in a i story. love your hair i love your hair <laughs> a lot of people say that she said oh she said um oh, you're a brave young lass to have your hair like that. And I said, I've had cancer. This doesn't, this is going to grow this back. This is not brave. Like, this is not brave. This is not brave at all. You should sit down and talk to me. That's right. You should see but what I've been through. When you, so when you have clippers going through your whole head, my sweet, sweet, amazing, amazing friend, Kayla, shaved my head for me um, when I had cancer because I didn't want it to come out in handfuls. I refused right. to do that. So she shaved my head for me. So I said, the next time there's clippers on my head, it's going to be my decision. That's it's going great. to be for me. So that's why when I sit in my hairdresser's chair, Anthony, and he he goes up with the clippers, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. You do it. Shave it. I'd shave it all off. I wouldn't care, really, honestly, again. Because why not? It's only hair. And it's only hair. And I'm and I'm a I'm a female, but I'm more than I'm more. I'm more than a woman. So after I woke up from my hysterectomy, I looked at my friend who's also in this group, Sheila. And I said, Sheila, everything that makes me a woman is gone. Like my breasts are gone. Mm-hmm. My, I, all my reproductive organs are gone. And she looked at me and she thought to herself, this is not Danica. This is not, this is pain talking. This is not her oh. because she's, she knows she's more than she knows the, the, what is the definition of a woman is so much more than your body parts. Absolutely. So I've struggled with that. Or who you are. And I've heard that said too, that that's, you know, one of the traumatic parts of breast cancer is losing your breast because it's something that you've always had. It's, it's, you know, it's a part of you, but you are so much more than your outward self, right? We all are. Yeah. And you're, and when you are stripped of everything that is superficial, and I say superficial, but I mean, looking from the, the, looking on the outside. Yeah. When that's gone, you have no choice but to find yourself. That's right. And you find yourself and you're like, you know what? I'm pretty darn awesome. I am pretty darn amazing. Do I have bad days? Yes. I had a bad day yesterday. I just, I sat right here in this chair and I cried and cried and cried because I am going through a hard thing again right now. So we're all human. It's very, you know, I mean, you look at everybody, you look at all the stars, you look at famous people and like my daughter's like, I can't believe you're going to talk to you. Jill, she's so famous. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so Jill has bad days. We all have bad days, right? <laughs> oh yeah. She's just adores you. But we all have these hard days, but you know what? The very important thing is, is that when I woke up this morning, I'm thinking, okay, so t- today is a new day. You can do hard things. You have done hard things, Lord knows. So just put the smile on, get out there go for a walk, do a workout, put some lipstick on and big earrings and, and rock it because life is so precious and it's so amazing. And we are all here for a reason. I always talk about a big tapestry. You know, you see these big tapestries on the walls and, and if you pull one thread, it starts to unravel. So we are all a part of that tapestry and we all serve a purpose. And it's huge that people don't forget that because when you're down, 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 lying on the bathroom floor, oh, which I will never forget. When you're lying on the bathroom floor and you feel like you don't have a purpose, you do have a purpose. I do. 
You do. You are a part of that big tapestry. And without that piece, it's nothing will ever be the same. And in that moment, you recognize that. And in that moment, you see that. And it's when you're faced with your immortality, I imagine, that you learn so much about yourself and who you are and why you're here and what you've left to do. And it's incredible to think, like all of us, I mean, you had the cancer diagnosis, but none of us know how many days we have. None of us know what's around the next corner for us. None of us know that. And that's why it's so important to honor who we are as individuals and stay on that journey of growth and learning and living big and stop holding back and for God's sake, stop worrying about the size of your thighs because right. it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. And I'm, I mean, ever since I've, I've gone through the hysterectomy and the, and the, and the breast cancer and I'm in, sur I mean, not surgical menopause, which is brutal. I, I'm, my body shape is so different than what it was before. And it, and it does upset me at times. Um, but it's, it's, it is a daily, it is a daily journey to right. look at yourself and, and there, and your friends and your family help so much too, because they keep reminding you, look, look at what you've gone through. Right. It's okay. It's okay. And, you know, just trying to learn to embrace a new body and a new person, because mm -hmm. this is all different. It's, it's all, all different. new. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you take a picture of me in 2014 and a picture of me now, and you're thinking, well, that's not her. That's no way that's her. Is that and right? You're, and you're, but you'd be right. Yeah. Because it's not outside or inside. So as long as you take the inside and you take it out of you, out of the inside and you paste it on the outside then you're, you appreciate your worth so that you will do things for your wellness. You will do things for yourself so that you don't forget that it's not about the outside. It right. is about what's inside and about, again, about your purpose here. Like that life on purpose tank. I looked at that in, in my closet because I just rearranged my closet a bit. And I'm like, oh, I love that life on purpose thing because it's so true. And we all have a purpose and people need to realize that and need to remember it over and over and over. Especially and we need to not take it for granted because I, I, I think about, I mean, I struggled big with, um, you know, disordered eating and over-exercising and body image issues, but like how self-centered and egotistical of me to think anybody gave a shit about the size of my thighs. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you really get a perspective yeah. shift, yeah. isn't it interesting that you think that does not matter so put the work in to heal that piece too it doesn't matter you'll see it on the other side when you get there right and if they do care about the size of your thigh, <laughs> right that's on them they don't they don't matter <laughs> that's right that's their problem yeah right. that's right so that's and that's important as well because um there have been comments made to me since i've gone through this process and uh funny looks and things like that that's okay. They don't know. Yeah. They don't know. They don't yeah. know what I've gone through. And if they did, they would understand. And if they didn't understand, that's still not my problem. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't, I, I, I live for me and I live for my family and, and I don't live for other people's opinions of me. Although I do, I'm not, I used to be a people pleaser. I'm not so much anymore. I still, I still value respect. Right. And I of still course. value all of that. Yeah. But I'm not going to sacrifice who I am to make Please someone, someone else, else feel better. Yep. Not going to do it not anymore. Yeah. Not going to put somebody else's wants ahead of our needs. That's, and I love that one. That's a powerful statement. Huge. And you know what? You are stronger than you think, Jill. You are stronger than you think. People look at me and say, oh, I don't know how you did that. I don't know how. And I'm like, you know, you know what? what? You would do it too. Yep. Because what's your option? What is your option? And I, you know, again, I have not faced this, but to get a call that says we've located a tumor in your son's spine that's a moment where you're like what's going to happen is he sick right. is he going to be here like what is going to happen and but in that moment you don't you don't you know you don't panic or you don't fear it you just think okay let's do the things that we need to do to get like let's it's just action and it's just you're in it and you're doing it because and it's not because you don't have a choice and you're forced into it, but it's like, okay, well then here's the curveball, and here we 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 take care of you know in your case you in my case Hunter and and yeah. and figure this out and 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 that's it. And people have said that too, like, what's it like to get that call? And uh, it's trauma. I'll never forget that phone call. I will never forget that phone call. But I'm so grateful every single day since that it brings me to my knees. Yeah, I can't oh, I can't oh. believe it. Oh, like I, I tell you. 
you know, it's the luck of the draw. It's like the doctor literally said he won the tumor lottery. Like it was absolutely just happened to be non-cancerous. So after, um, what happened after, you know, the last piece that we talked about here was the rejected uh, reconstruction. And then after that, so what does the healing process look like? Again, I've heard in the past that you're considered cancer-free after five years in remission or what, or a bunch of different things that are said. So what, what does that look like for you and where you're at now, several years later? Right now, I actually walked away from my surgeon who my radio, so you have a team of doctors, you have an oncologist, you have a radiation oncologist and you have a surgeon. And I recently walked away from my surgeon about three or four weeks ago. And he looked at me and he said, you're good. Go do your thing. Go live your life. Be happy. Uh, You're good. You don't have to see me again unless something else comes up. And I was like, oh, oh. So every, even though it's six years later, it's still like a relief because And, I, and I'll say this, I don't know if ever if other cancer survivors have this experience as well. But for me, no one ever looked at me and said, you're cancer free ever, ever. Yeah, I was never told that. Yeah. You hear five years out that you're you're reset back to what you were before you had cancer. Mm-hmm. So I, my likelihood of, of having cancer again is just as much as anybody else's. Right. That is what I've heard around, but that is not what they tell you in that office. Mm. They look after you, they care for you, and then they release you. And then, and then you have to figure out, you have to figure out who you are and what your new life looks like and how to work with that. Um, again, that's a whole other that I've started yeah. a second book because since the last page of overcomer so much has happened and people are like i want to know what what's next like i've seen you through it but i don't know what your inside what your soul has felt and gone through so i've started a second book just because the next leg of the journey was harder than those Mm. nine months yeah because it's it's post-traumatic it's there's so much that that falls out of that afterwards social workers, psychologists, counselors, um, medication, whatever was required. I did it because Mm -hmm. I had to, and I fought some of it like medication. I fought it. I fought it for a long time. And then I couldn't fight it anymore because it was a matter of me still being here or not. It was absolutely, it's part of the healing. And I think this is really good. I'm glad you brought it up. It's, it's something that needs more light shone on it. Cause of course you're going to do the chemo. Of course you're going to do the surgery, but the mental health and the emotional stuff afterwards, that's very real. And that deserves equal attention because healing is, you know, wellness is holistic. And so is healing from something like this. And that's, you're incredible. So the second part of the journey was the mental health aspect of it. And people talk about survivor's guilt. I didn't have survivor's guilt, but I did have, I don't know who this is. I don't know how to take this new Danica and fit her back into that old life. I don't know how to do that. Nobody gives you tools. So as an advocate for mental health for various reasons, I reached out to certain people and I, and I did receive help. So because of the journey, because of, of me taking uh, responsibility for my mental health and my heart and my soul, I'm in a place today where I am, I'm very, very happy. I have made hard choices uh, in the past five or six years but it brought me to a place today where I am so happy and happy as, as a bit of an ubiquitous, like, no, mm-hmm. I can't say that works. I'm afraid I'm going to use it wrong, but it's a, it's a little bit of a, of a cloudy word because of like, what is happy, you know? Right. But I am very happy because I'm here and I'm alive and I'm living at my purpose and I am helping other people whenever I can uh, without sacrificing who I am. So making sure that you are your own advocate, making sure that you look after your wellness, meaning your mental health, getting fresh air in your lungs, keeping those close to you that love you and that care for you and that are rowing the boat in the same way. Yeah. And the people that are not just kindly, lovingly let them go their own space. Yep. Yes. Um, and, And doing all that, I think will bring you to a place where you are happy and you're content with who you are and make yeah. sure you are because if you're not you need to work on that because there's 
you in all of your glory, this is who the world needs. They don't need, well, I need to be a little bit more like Jill or I need to be a little bit, be no, a little you bit need more to be like you more like And you need sister. to be content with you. You do. And like, I have, like my older sister is one of my biggest fans. Like she is, she is the pillar of strength and, and love and grace and mercy and beauty and everything else that I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. And she has gone through harder things than I have. And she loves me so much. Yeah. She really do. And she speaks to me about me. Like I'm amazing. And so when, when you know, when you know somebody like that in your life, it's almost like use them as a mirror. Yes. Right. Yep. Use that to hold you up when you need it. Right. Right. R- remind you. Yeah. It's good to have people like that. And That's she's beautiful. Oh, she's my soulmate. I can't wait for her to hear that. Oh, she, she needs to be on here. She does. Cause yeah. she has a story. I may have to speak for her, but she has a story like nobody else. I know she does. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I do, I do know she has quite a story. She does so. Yeah, she's amazing. So you are today living very healthy, very well. And you, I, I mean, I see you pumping iron. I see you doing the jalopies. I see you doing the stuff. <laughs> you can do it. Like physically, mentally, emotionally, you are incredibly strong and you are healthy. And that's amazing after the long road that you've been through. So beautiful. So tell me about making your way back to your career as an interpreter, a sign language interpreter. So I, I, left the interpreting career when I, when I had cancer for various reasons. Um, and then uh, I tried a few different, I, you know, I played with a few different careers and I was really good at it, but it, it wasn't my passion. So uh, something and a situation happened where there was an opening for me to get back into the interpreting field. And I reluctantly because I was you know when you when you don't use it you lose it as they say so even though I was still signing mm-hmm. um during cancer when signing is not interpreting interpreting is a whole other ball game it's 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 a very taxing um interesting tax. It's, it's I haven't heard that, but I do notice and admire because I watched and I think I got more interested, intrigued and interpreting throughout the pandemic because I'd watch all the government updates and I'd watch you. All of you were in my community and you were at the updates every day and I'd watch you guys do it. And it is a lot about facial and body language and, and you know, so so carry on. This is interesting. Yeah. So you're interpreting concepts like you're taking the whole concept and you had to put it in a whole other language. It's not it's not English on your hands it's not at all on your hands it didn't even derive from english you know asl didn't so when i got back into the interpreting world it was like coming back home it was so amazing and after coming through what i've gone through and and the deaf community were so supportive and the interpreting community and my friends it was like coming back home and Mm. i'd see somebody and they'd be like oh come here before the pandemic and give me a big hug and how you doing and and of course they were and I had so many people say to me because you used to get on Facebook and you used to sign in ASL what your journey was I understand cancer so much better now Mm. so it's that whole aspect of of just giving back to the community in whatever way you can right so i'm back into my like i said into my interpreting career now and it's taken off and i'm so i'm so happy because um when i was listening to your podcast with your tattoo artist and and you talked about it's not it's like you don't even go to work every day yeah and that's what it's like when you're interpreting you know you get up or you sit here because you know this in this space where i am now a lot of it is virtual um and when the camera goes on and you start interpreting you're just you're in that zone and it's just it's so amazing to take you're creating you're creating the message in another language it's just it's so it's so amazing and asl is just it's a beautiful language and not beautiful because of all of this but it's beautiful because it, it's a it's just that other way to express yourself and for me it's huge because like if i'm in a church service or i'm at a funeral or a wedding i'm in my mind i'm interpreting the whole service is that because right oh always always it's and music and i'm listening to the radio and i'm like oh 
I can interpret that, you know, and that's it's incredible. What a gift for the members of the deaf community. So what, what inspired you to get into it in the first place? Like, was it, you know, personal reasons or just really intrigued by it or just, you know, I know you're natural, you know, you're, you're empathetic and you want to help yeah. people. So what, what was it? Well, I got into interpreting when my two aunts are deaf, they live here in town, but they, we lived five hours away from each other. So I didn't grow up knowing sign language, mm -hmm. American sign language. Um, but I was working when I was 19 years old, I was working and I saw a lady signing to her dad through a window, what they were going to do for supper. And I don't know why it never hit me before then, but it was just like somebody just smacked me. It's like, that's what I want to do. I want to do something with sign language. I so I it. researched it and, uh, and it was, and what came up was sign language interpreter. And I was like, it looks really hard, but I, I, I think I'd love to do that because you're with people and there's so many different situations. I mean, as a freelance interpreter, you could be interpreting a conference one day, a wedding the next, and the next day you're in a hospital room interpting God knows what. So it's very diverse. And that's what I love about it. Yeah, what a cool so career. Like all those experiences that you get to share with people, like that's, that's really cool. That's really interesting. Even like back to back to the government updates through the throughout the pandemic. Think about, you know, any of us who didn't have that barrier of not being able to hear. We still couldn't understand what was going on at the beginning of the pandemic. It was all very confusing. And, and then to try to, you know, you interpret it so that everybody has equal access to information. And, and, and I think that's, that's so cool. What a cool career. So you yeah, recently yeah. launched it as a business. Is that right? Yes, actually, myself and a few of my colleagues, we have um, we have organized a business because what happened was that um, with theater, like there's another association, there's another organization that they have the government contract. And so they um, they do the medical appointments and legal appointments mm -hmm. and things. But there's but there's private organizations that will come to interpreters because they like our work or they know us or whatever. Right. So like theater companies, perchance theater and the Ochre Pit Festival and stuff is coming up. So they would come to us individually and say, I would like to hire you to do um, Hamlet for, um, wow. or, you know, out in um, Cubans. So we've done that. And then an, one another one of us would be approached and another one. So we thought, well, why don't we just put. Uh, why don't we just go together, pull yes. our resources, and so that we can support each other. So that's what we did. So we just, we set up a um, company, Triangular Communications Incorporated. So that's actually, it's it's our baby. And it just, Congratulations. Uh, yeah, it's so exciting. And it's women led, and we are four powerful, amazing, strong, determined women. And, and really aligned in your careers too, which is important when you when you go on a venture like this together. Also, may I just say, uh, I don't think anybody can properly explain Shakespeare to me. So I think it's incredible that you're up there explaining it <laughs> as an interpreter. My son uh, is doing Romeo and Juliet in school right now. And I'm like, do you understand it? Like he got a hundred in his essay. And I'm like, how did you get a hundred in like, <laughs> I remember not knowing at all, like the soliloquy not knowing at all what these words are trying to say. It was so over my head. Absolutely impressive. <laughs> it's not easy. And I tell you with anything like that, the hours and the days and the weeks of research that goes into it. No yeah, one knows. I bet you. We call it prep work, right? right? No one knows the prep work that goes into these things. Like even when we interpret a wedding or a funeral or anything like that. I mean, if you look at the, the, uh, the old, hymns you know mm. you have to know the meaning because interpreting is all about meaning and if you are there and you don't know the meaning you can't interpret it it's impossible so in order for for me to go to church on Sunday or for me to go to the perchance theater and interpret Hamlet or anything else that they're going to do I need to research it and know what it means or else I'm I'm just putting English in the air and that's not ASL and the deaf community they deserve much better. They deserve it in their in their language. To feel language. it the way we feel it in experiences. Of course, of course. And by sorry, I should have said we. I mean, you know, hearing people. So it's yes. just a little yes. bit different. That's right. Differently abled. Yeah. Differently. So um I, I just again, I want to thank you for coming on to share all this. And 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 I have a a friend, a very close acquaintance that I went through high school with, who as a result of all the things we, well, this is, this is what she's told me, as a result of all the things that we explore around holistic wellness in our community here, 
Uh, she said that she stopped ignoring signs that her body was giving her, and she went and saw her doctor. And she's been diagnosed with colon cancer, mm-hmm. and she's almost finished chemo right now. And she said she commented on my post last night about my mammogram and said, "You're right, health is wealth, and you're right, advocate for your own health." And you know how important is it because we all and we talk about this in our community that certain things that feel heavier feel hard whether it's filing your taxes or having a hard conversation with a spouse like those things we want to avoid that to protect ourselves because it's uncomfortable but it's so important to face it persist if it doesn't feel right and then fight the fight that you need to fight depending on what level or extent that is look at you you're out here now living your best life your own words <laughs> you are your best you right now you are running a successful business you are bright a bright light in i know in our community and i'm sure in anybody's life that you touch so thank you for sharing so much any final words before we sign off today my final words would be to don't ever don't ever don't ever let anybody dampen you dampen your spirit dampen your light and if you do feel yourself in a situation like that, you have the right and the power to remove yourself from it and let your light shine bright for everybody because you are here for a purpose. Trust me. Trust me. Absolutely. And life on purpose and unapologetically me and all of the things that really, truly matter. Thank you, my friend. You are a beautiful human. and I'm so happy that you found yourself here on the other side the way that you have. Thank you, Jim. Thank you once again for tuning in to the For the Well of It podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a positive rating and review. And if you feel that this can inspire somebody in your life, please share on your favorite social media platform. I promise to keep things real over here and keep inspiring For the Well of It.